Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. I think we can all agree that one of the mangles, if not the biggest, is to sell our company for the right reasons. And I think if you listen to a few episodes, I've had a bit of a rocky experience on some of them. So I'm always on the lookout for people who I hear from other entrepreneurs who've sold, who've had great experiences, people who have helped them. Today's guest is definitely someone who has efforts in helping business owners and entrepreneurs sell their businesses in the space. What I'm fascinated about is how he has used his background in the e-commerce world to turning into creating his own business where he was helping entrepreneurs build businesses and then partnering with investment bankers to create a boutique investment bank firm that focuses on the e-commerce space and helping entrepreneurs in the space sell their businesses. As someone who's trying to practice being deliberate in my entrepreneurship, one of the things I know is trying to define what I want out of my businesses. And what I've heard from other people is today's guest is really good at helping them position themselves to understand what they can do and what will be possible based upon selling their business. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And I hope I learn a little bit, add to my own deliberate entrepreneurship practice. Just have a really good conversation with today's guest, the managing partner of Global Wired Advisor, Chris Shipfer. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No, I'm really excited to have you. Besides you being in one of the areas I find most beautiful, I love that whole Charlotte region up in North Carolina. I was just telling the audience a little bit about your background and just how cool I think it is, you know, how you kind of stacked from different sales roles to different things to like running different things to now sort of this whole what has become over the past few years, a very hot space, which is buying and selling of Amazon businesses and other digital first businesses. So yeah, I just have been really fascinated going through your background. So I'm excited to dive into a little bit of this with you. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to dive in and kind of give you a succinct version of of how I got to this place. Start off in sales. Coming out of college, was working for a Japanese-based company. It was a publicly traded business that was focused on in the baby juvenile product space. So baby products, you know, so strollers, car seats, play yards, high chairs, all the things that mom and dad, parent, caregiver, whatever else we call them these days, need for their child. I came into that company pretty much at the lowest, lowest rank and uh, quickly over the course of Seven years worked myself into running sales and marketing for the company prior to leaving in 2010. So in 2010, I was recruited by a much larger. So that business, we were able to, we were a very humble, nimble team. I, I really learned what it meant to be a small business, literally like on the 30th of every month, being in the warehouse trying to ship out product to make our month and to make our forecast. So, you know, it was really kind of my first taste in being part of something that felt very entrepreneurial. It was a $22 million business, all wholesale. So we've sold to Babies R Us and specialty stores across the country and 
e-commerce was just starting. So I actually, you know, probably a lot like you too, I got to see the boom really of consumer products selling through e-commerce. You know, I remember at that at that time back in 2004 or five, I remember being at a trade show and this bookseller called amazon.com came by and wanted to start putting baby products on their website and start selling into a lot more categories. They were already starting that, but we were one of the first baby products companies to say yes to amazon.com and and then watching through that time a, a small little company, small little startup that was venture backed called CSN Stores gave me a call wanting to sell our product which turned into Wayfair and also during that time sold to diapers.com which was a small weird house in New Jersey where you know I sat with my buyer at a cubicle here and 500 feet away where the the two founders that obviously eventually went on to not only get sold to Amazon but get sold you know went on started Jet which was then sold to Walmart so it was a really interesting time just because so many things were traditional brick and mortar and Babies R Us at that point was really Toys R Us, Babies R Us, not only was a big retailer, but was a big part of our business and a very strategic part of our business. So 2010, I was recruited to come run as a director of sales for a, a half a billion dollar company called Evenflow. Um, so I was one of several different directors of sales, but uh, I managed uh, and worked with cross-functional teams, both in product development, brand marketing, trade marketing, and ran key accounts effectively for Evenflow. So, you know, working with large companies at the time like Burlington Coat Factory and Bye Bye Baby or Bed Bath and Beyond and and Sears and Kmart. Anybody remembers those two dinosaurs. <laughs> and uh, when they still had lots of stores and still had big programs and and big buy dollars, etc. So working there was really intriguing. It definitely catapulted me now into more of a much stronger corporate environment. My CEO at the time was a turnaround king. He he came in, even if it was owned by Weston Presidio, which was a fairly large private equity firm. And he was brought in to really help turn around Evenflow. But uh, he actually came from, gosh, he turned around Dove, Atari, Ben & Jerry's was one of the bigger ones. He worked for Wild Oats, you know, really kind of turned that around. Yeah. So not only just him, but being able to work with a lot of folks that worked at really, really large CPG companies, big MBAs. <laughs> and a lot of them actually worked at P&G because P&G was right down the street. The headquarters for Evenflow was in Dayton and P&G obviously being in Cincinnati. So worked kind of by osmosis for three years just with for some really large CPG brains and got to see how a large consumer products organization literally from start to finish takes a widget and runs it through the entire production line and all functions and then puts it on a shelf and then measures and analyzes what it's actually doing to then inform the rest of the production line. So it was really intriguing. I, I also helped them with uh, drop shipping. <laughs> they were completely unfamiliar with what this concept was. And I started a cross-functional team pretty much right away. And we were able to create uh, drop shipping capabilities, which really ha- helped raise revenue with a lot of e-commerce players at the time. So yeah, it was fun. From there, I, I, I left. I was recruited to be an executive general manager for a company. It was a Barcelona-based business called Jean A. That was going now back to small business, but even further. So it was more entrepreneurial in nature, where we had the backing of the you know $120 million headquarters out of Barcelona, Spain. And that's where all the funding came from. But you know, I was tasked to basically say, yeah, you've got funding, but figure it out. Like you've got the product set, figure out what needs to be done for the United States market. And then also just figure out all the different functions and who you need to hire, et cetera. So that gave me the first bug of being an entrepreneur. 
and uh, kind of the first taste of what it what it feels like to be and really do something what felt like I guess like a dry run or dry rehearsal or a rehearsal of of kind of doing something on your own. So from there, I actually left and I took the leap. It was the last time I took a W two. I dove headfirst and towards the end of my time with John A. I pivoted my career into going full digital. And I'll never forget the moment I was having a conversation with a buyer at the time, a buyer for a very large retail store. And she was giving me her very subjective opinion on my product. No data, no consumer data, you know, nothing. And at that point, I said, we're done. I want to go talk to the consumer. I'm tired of talking to this representative who doesn't bring any type of objective data to the table and really is just giving me her gut-wrenching opinion, which I think is wrong. And so I went, pivoted, went full digital, learned all I could at that point. I already had a strong understanding because I worked with so many e-commerce businesses at that time, including the ones I've already mentioned, along with lots of others. And so I went full bore on learning how to take a widget direct to consumer through digital marketing mediums like SEO, SEM, understanding Facebook advertising, understanding social media, organic posting, and how that affects everything else that you're trying to do and building an audience and basically traffic and conversions and learning that side, but then really dove into learning Amazon third-party seller central. And not just learning it from like, oh, I know my way around. Like Literally at Jean A, I had half a million dollars of inventory sitting in my warehouse and I had to get rid of it. And so I used Amazon.com as a th- you know 3P, the marketplace, as a way to get rid of that product. And so I learned how to take a widget. It was more than just taking a widget per se from, I got to put it up on Amazon.com. It was, I've got to actually learn how to take this from start all the way to finish from an SEO perspective, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, learning how to do listing optimization, how to advertise that particular product. So all that actually bled into me starting my own business where I became a consultant with, it was some enterprise level clients, but more or less some enterprise level in the baby and toy. I built such a good, strong, you know, network within baby and toy. And just in general, to sum up what I did is I really helped Enterprise, medium, small businesses formulate a digital strategy when they did not have one. So from there, it was interesting because I, I then met, you know, in Charlotte. Charlotte is, if you're familiar, there's a church, there's a brewery, and there's an investment bank on every corner here. So, you know, it's a very large finance town. You've got Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Truist, you've got, you know, regions, you've got such large banking here. I actually met up with my three current partners. Uh, We met back in early 2018. They were actually doing another effort where they spent over two decades each in bulge bracket investment banking, You know, working for very large household names, Wells Fargo, Citi, Deutsche. And not just they were just, oh, they were an analyst or an associate. These were managing director roles that they were executing on. And so Having over two decades of that experience, they actually started their own effort where they were in effectively being an investment bank for small business, but for traditional businesses. And primarily what they did is they were in sell-side M&A. That's, that's primarily where they were focused. And that's just a cute way for your audience of saying they sold companies. <laughs> and companies that were, were considered in the lower middle market, you're roughly about 5 to $7 million of revenue up to about $80 million of revenue. And so when I came along, I met them, was walking them through my digital background. We actually had a mutual friend. 
we started talking about where e-commerce was at the time. It was growing at still such a fast clip, even pre-pandemic, growing at 15% year over year. It's something that was, I think, forecasted to continue to grow all the way out until you know 2030 to represent like close to like 35 or 40% of retail sales. This is all pre-pandemic. So all the data and stats were in everybody's favor, even pre-2020. And so we said, hey, why don't we all start something where instead of focusing in on traditional businesses, like rubber manufacturers and HVAC companies and et cetera, and franchises and et cetera. Why don't we focus our attention now on, on e-commerce? I had the digital chops. I had the consumer product chops. They had the financial engineering chops. And so that's when Global Wired Advisors was really born. The thesis was every single day, a Fortune 500 company, when they want to divest a brand, they want to engage in M&A, they want to either purchase a company or they want to sell something. They hire an investment bank and they deploy an investment banking process to have the best outcome for their company. These are extremely smart people that are running these businesses. So our thesis was, hey, what if we deployed that same process for a founder owner who has very, very little choice when it comes to selling their business? When they're seven figures, eight figures, or low eight figures, the pedigree is very low, acumen is lacking, no real business or institutional experience. You've got business brokers who were firemen yesterday, and now they all of a sudden feel like, oh, I understand your business well enough. And by the way, I understand your largest asset and one of your biggest liquidity events, you know, large enough to get you the best outcome. And it's like, no. Let's deploy something highly sophisticated, highly professional for a founder owner. And yes, really what it's done now, Global Wired Advisors was born with that thesis and the outcome has been tremendous. We absolutely get highest valuation for businesses, best outcomes for companies, and we deploy a pain and stress-free process. You've had exits before. You know how arduous exits can be. And you know when you don't have the right intermediary how much you're involved and how much stress it is. And so, you know, our thesis is, look, a Fortune 100 company or 500, even 1,000, they're hiring Jeffries and Piper Sandler and these large investment banks to run their process. And really what they're doing is they're hiring on almost like an ad hoc deal team, like almost like a corporate M&A function to come in. And that's exactly what we do. We run the process from start to finish. It's just stress-free. And we make sure that the founder and owner gets the absolute best deal by going to all of the right buyers. I don't have an email list where I just hit send. <laughs> we do real research. We really find the right fit, just depending on your vertical, depending on the nuances and details of your company, which requires us to actually understand the business. And in some ways, we say understanding it better than you. <laughs> it is interesting because you know, obviously, having been dabbling and I've acquired companies back with previous companies and you know i am out there looking i've been looking at a lot of the different spaces and the range of expertise let's say can be lacking a lot especially in this you yes. know that mid the mid seven to low eight definitely it's hit or miss what you see you know and you get mm -hmm. some of the brokers that are just like they're going to slam you left right and center and then yeah tell you there's 50,000 offers and if you don't do something tomorrow this and then lo and behold 6 months later you see it post on another brokerage site and you're like wait i thought this company had so it's many offers it's so true it's so <laughs> yeah. true and, and and it's honestly what it is is it's a lot of boiler room glen gary glen ross type of tactic right it's yes. a lot of used car salesman tactics and that's what you get when you don't 
utilize someone with a very corporate professional institutional level background. You know, you get tactics and you get a process that's just always going to be less than. And I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm a brand owner myself. We have a private equity effort. You know, we take pride in the businesses that we either purchase or invest in. And when it comes time for that liquidity event, but the last thing I would do, and it really goes for anything, you know, and I talk to people about this all the time to bring perspective. You know, if you care about your company, the last thing you're going to do is use a terrible CPA. Right. Because all of us want to get creative when it comes to tax liability, right? And tax mitigation. Well, I'm not going to go to HR block if I've got something quite valuable. (laughs) Right. I'm going to, I'm actually going to go find, I'm going to start asking around. I may even use the tax attorney. Right. Yeah. So it's just trying to put some folks in that mindset because a lot of times, you know, they don't necessarily understand the true difference between hiring a professional investment banking intermediary and hiring a kind of, what would be considered a traditional business broker. And there's a lot of terrain between the two. I really do want to get into your journey as an entrepreneur now into this sort of space. But before we do, just because this Uh is such cool, and I know a lot of people who are thinking about selling or whether now, later, whatever, who is the right type of business to start having a conversation with you? Yeah, it's great. You know, that's the other thing that we pride ourselves in is being boutique. Um, So we are a digitally focused consumer products investment bank. And so lots of terms that have been used, digitally native, digital first. Yeah. I love the digital first term. I think that's been coming on the scene recently. It's one of my, my more favorite phrases in, in the vernacular of the space. Um, but so I would say digital first, you know, a consumer products company, they might be omni-channel, but they really have a stronger focus and in concentration and e-commerce brand focus, that's going to be really important. You know, we're not really interested in taking to market anything that's just been built to try and grow cash flow or just grow kind of call it product profit. You know, we're looking for brand oriented, lower middle market. So businesses that are that are materializing between call it seven million of top line revenue at the very minimum, and then all the way up to call it, I'd say, like I said, 80 million before. But our sweet spots more or less in that I call it like 15, 10 to 15 million upwards of close to like 35, 40 million, maybe 50 is really our sweet spot. You know, in order to get, so the type of process that we run, we don't take a lot of businesses to individual investors. It's typically more institutional level investors, private equity funds, family offices, these aggregator funds that have popped up recently, just, you know, chasing. We could have a whole other podcast about that because we have a view on where that's all headed. Everybody's all honky dory. And we were the chicken little screaming, wait a minute. We've seen this before in other markets. Everybody's got to calm down. Here's what's about to happen. (laughs) I mean, I can, I can join you because I was part of two different of the agency roll-ups of the late nineties and early knots. Where was that? Hey, well, X multiple here, 10 of them are 20. (laughs) That multiple arbitrage, man, it's been done a lot. And so, you know, nothing's new under the sun. And what's good news, though, I think, you know, we're we're going through a bit of a correction right now with e-commerce, right? So Q3 saw a correction, lots of folks going back in. I'd say consumers were... Still taking the pandemic seriously, but we're tired of the pandemic, wanted to get back into stores, wanted to get back into restaurants. And so we saw a bit of a consumer product shift. Our economy is typically two-thirds services and one-third consumer products. So we just saw another shift from that going back to just being a service you know, majority service-based economy. But what's really interesting, so the aggregators, these guys who bought up a lot of these businesses, they were suffering. Their, their portfolios have been suffering. But yeah. private equity has been watching this. 
and they've been watching what's going on. And we've been having an increased, I'd say over the past two months, an increased amount of volume with larger private equity funds, lower middle market private equity funds, portfolio brands that are owned by something much larger fund, and they want to start acquiring. And specifically, they want to acquire Amazon assets, e-commerce assets, etc. So that's really good news for this space because it's just it shows a big sign of maturity that more cash wants to come in and start investing inside of e-commerce. It's all positive, in my opinion, (laughs) even though we're going to see a little bit of turmoil when it comes to those aggregator rollups. All right. So since we've been talking about the businesses that fit. Do you see yourself as post-entrepreneur or are you still on your own entrepreneurial journey here? I'm still on my own for sure. I mean, I just when I think I can wave the flag and go, okay, I've done it. I've reached the top of the mountain. <laughs> all of a sudden I look around and I see like all these other very tall mountains. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like, ooh, I think I need to get I always, you know, and I think Look, I think you'd agree with me. I mean, you know, burnout is very real inside of being an entrepreneur because you yeah. really do. I mean, you sacrifice a lot to be an entrepreneur. You sacrifice a lot of your time. You sacrifice a lot of your family's time. You know, you sacrifice a lot to really do and make this decision and make this choice. But once you swallow that pill, I don't think you ever lose it. I really don't. I mean, I, I know personally a lot of folks who have made hundreds of millions of dollars into the billions. I mean, I met a guy recently about seven months ago at a at a conference and he's now worth, I want to say probably four or five billion. And the tenacity that yeah. he has is still very strong to want to build and grow. When they start to really come into money, because that's a natural byproduct of success, right? Just money. You're yeah. making lots of money, right? What I've noticed is it's not that what you discover, it's not the money anymore. It's the hunt. It's the, I want to go and invest. I want to see something grow. It's like planting. A, it's like when you were a kid and you wanted to take the seed from the apple and you wanted to plant it in the ground. You want to you know, watch something grow. There's something very intriguing about that, right? And I think too, there's something very, in some ways, kind of religious <laughs> watching something grow and you are actually helping. You're being altruistic in a sense because you're building and you're creating jobs and you're helping people. And, you know, you're creating a thing. I think there's something really, really cool about that. So, yeah, I, uh, to answer your question directly, man, I'm not done. I don't think I was just talking to my, one of my business partners yesterday and we're talking about doing seven or eight other different things here in the next 10 years. So <laughs> I don't think it's gone away. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. And I mean, just seeing some of the stuff. This is what's kind of cool. I always do think it's like, yes, what we do is about making money, but at a certain point, we can go off on tangents there, but it is the fuel that we can generate off of what we do. Now, what mm-hmm. I find interesting, and maybe this is something to kind of talk about, I do know that you know what it leads to for a lot of entrepreneurs, and I've been guilty, is that yes, growth, success, it's the ability to do new cool things. So now that you're looking and you are building such success, how do you make sure that you're deliberately utilizing this additional fuel, you know, this catalyst, this opportunity that you have from your entrepreneurial efforts to grow? Because I've fallen, and I know many other entrepreneurs, to the bright, shiny object syndrome too often. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do to kind of work with that? So first off, I think I'm not doing something on my own. I'm doing it with, you know, especially Global Wired Advisors. I'm doing it with three other guys. There's another effort that I'm recently starting with one of my partners and then a whole group of other people in a co-venture. Having people around you, I think, really help mitigate 
that shiny object syndrome keep you accountable and keep you on pace, keep you on track because you know that you're trying to build something for, you know, together. There's two things. Number one, having employees sometimes can help really mitigate that, right? Because you feel responsible for other people and that responsibility tends to drive like, hey, I know I want to go off and do these 17 other things right now, but I can't. I've got to focus. I've got to keep my my fuel. I've got to keep my focus inside of this business to watch it continue to grow, right? But I think also knowing yourself a little bit as well. You know, if you know yourself really well starting something, then you already put in place things that can replace you or you already start from day one knowing that you need to be replaced because you're so good at day one to like day 365, but you're terrible from day 366 on. <laughs> you don't like the day to day. You don't want to manage employees. You don't want to have to think about budgets and functions and, and the hard kind of, you know, mental gymnastics that come with really kind of scaling, right? You don't want to do that. That's cool. I think if you're someone who's brilliant, you know, a creative genius, and you can see the vision of where something is going to go, you're a visionary. I think those have really, really strong roles as long as they understand that, because that's where I think the failure happens is they believe they're both, but they're not. <laughs> and then that's where you start to see the plummet and the failure. And then they go off and do something else. Yeah. They don't have the accountability. They don't have the self-awareness to understand like, ah, I need somebody. I should have put somebody in my place. So, you know, we're trying to do that. I mean, Global Wired Advisors, one of the things that we set out from the beginning, all of us came from corporate environments where we worked in institutions and places for a long time, right? So we're used to yeah. getting up in the morning, having our coffee and grinding it out. You know, we're used to that. But one of the things we did say, we set out from the start was to say, look, we got to replace ourselves at some point because what's best for the business is for the four of us to constantly get elevated and strategically think about the company and strategically work in the company, not tactfully yeah. work in the company, company long-term. So yeah, I would say that's probably the best way to, to mitigate the squirrel syndrome. <laughs> On top of that, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur who's kind of in that transition phase? Because it is usually, I think I've seen in Squirrel and from talking and many other things, when you are in that mid six to low seven is when all of a sudden you start having free cash flow to take care of more than just survival rate. You get to start playing and all of a sudden complexity starts adding to the picture here. So what advice would you give to someone there yeah. right before they should start talking to you? Yeah. I mean, look, keep pushing. Number one, you know, you're going to, even though you feel like you've gotten through in the storm, just know that you're more than likely in the eye of the storm. <laughs> you're not actually through the storm with the next phase of growth. There's so much more you have to deal with and it's, yeah. it's going to be super arduous. You know, as an entrepreneur, you'll agree with this. You have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I've never felt this before in my life over the past several years. Yeah. Where you literally feel like you're on top of a mountain one day and the next day you literally feel like I don't even want to get out of bed. <laughs> like I just want to lay here for a long, long time. My advice to people who are going through like, okay, you really started to see growth, right? You saw growth, yeah. maybe it was fast. And now you're on the precipice of going from, you know, kind of that, maybe it's that flywheel moment. Like you're right there towards almost at that flywheel yeah. moment. Push through, push, 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 push. Don't give up. If you've got the lows, fight through the lows. I know it's easy to say, harder to do, but really fight through them because on the other side of that, you know, let's speak financially. If your goal is to have a liquidity event out of this thing that you're growing, 
know that where you've made it today at that mid six figures to low seven figures is dramatically different from a financial perspective than having that mid seven figures to low eight figures. Easy numbers. A million is usually in consumer products. A million direct to consumer business is about $200,000 of what we would call adjusted EBITDA or SDE, right? Yeah. And so at 200,000, you're probably going to make 800,000, a million dollars at the most off the business, right? That's at a million dollars of top line. Well, let's say you just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and you get it to $10 million because you really pushed through. You put some great infrastructure in place. You reinvested a lot of the cash to go back into the company, to put real people in the right spots. Jim Collins says, says the right people in the bus and the right people yeah. on the right seats side of the bus. So you kind of got that infrastructure going. You're feeling that flywheel. You get to 10. Now you have 2 million of EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA. And now you're talking about a 12 to $18 million exit. I mean, you're talking about putting in grind for delayed, delayed money, but that delayed money is really well worth it. There are a lot of folks who they reach that low of low and they feel how arduous things really are and they stop and they just don't realize what's next and what that next click actually could look like. And so it's our job too, you know, I'll plug us for a moment. <laughs> it's our job. You know, you mentioned business brokers and saying, Oh, I've got 50 offers. And then all of a sudden, you know, six months later, you see it on another website. You know, with us, we pride ourselves in really understanding the business before you're a client and really digging in and doing the right analysis to say, Hey, look, here are your options and kind of going through that type of exercise, which is you're here today. You still have plenty of scale. You're missing out on 10 of these opportunities to even scale and grow your company. You really need to wait. Oh, and by the way, I've got five resources I'm going to make introductions to that are going to help you try and get to that one place. You're not alone. <laughs> and, and please don't consider yourself alone on this. And so for us, we take a much more strategic approach to avoid exactly, well, we don't put anything on our website, but to avoid a business going to market. It's not ready to go to market. Yeah, We know it. The business owner doesn't. And really what you're doing is just trying to encourage the business owner to go through that next phase because that delayed money is going to be life-changing. Let's put it, let's just call a spade a spade. That's life-changing money for a lot of people and can allow them to not only what you said, play and have free cash flow. I mean, that's a whole different investing no. model now, right? You hit a, depending on, yeah. <laughs> Even by very traditional standards of your three and a half, four percent, yeah, return type of thing, you're set, depending mm -hmm. on your expenses, obviously. But you are depending that's right. set. set. <laughs> you are set. I mean, really, you know, and obviously there are nuance there, but you know, that type of money can also beget allowing you if you lived in Southern California and you had some, you know, rock star lifestyle. It still will allow you to invest in a lot of other things that can yeah. blossom and then turn into. I mean, the most successful movie stars that are out there, they're the ones that actually had the wherewithal to go, hey, acting is cool, but investing and buying and owning assets, that's where I need to be. And those are the richest movie stars now. There is tons. I mean, and I'm loving, you know, and this is part of the thing we like doing here on the show is like one of the reasons why I love thinking about the entrepreneurial journey being separate from the businesses we create is that there's so much research that shows that our ability to compound, not just interest, traditional finance, but our ability to compound relationships, ideas, bringing to market this, and the longer we're able to generate entrepreneurial return, better off we are long-term. Now, yes, 
you have to actually bring something to the right levels to get those nice exits. But the longer you can, yeah. I mean, and the more types of assets you own statistically, yes, it may be because obviously they have it, but that is if you have these 20 different types, you know, the more types of income streams, both traditional and non-traditional, given that businesses are considered non-traditional, yes. better off, you know, more likely you are to be well off. It's so true. And, you know, I'd say another piece of advice to entrepreneurs kind of in that phase, look, don't be afraid to pivot your business model if you have to. If you've got to rearrange the business model that you've that has got you to that point, but you have to rearrange it to get you to this point, don't be afraid of that. That's okay. Sometimes, oddly, people can look at that as almost like a failure. Like, well, I set out to do this. And it's got me this far. I need to use and deploy the same type of business model to get me to this. And just don't be afraid to change. People don't like change, but don't be afraid to change and, and shake up the business model. The other thing too is... To get from this phase of, I'd say, call it five hundred thousand, half of half a million to, yeah. you know, one one point two to ten, risk. There's no other way to say it. It's going to take lots of risk, and if you're risk averse, it's going to be really difficult for you. And so sometimes, you know, it's good to get a good coach, a good mentor, you know, someone to, that you can meet with to really help coach you through some of that risk. It doesn't have to happen all at one time, but just know that you've got to face it, right? You just have to do it. You've got to face that fear of risk. And the more you allow your risk averse feelings and thoughts to creep into the business for that scale, the more you're more than likely you're going to choke the business, not actually help it blossom. And so that'd be my other piece of advice. We've realized that at Global Wired Advisors as we've been growing our investment bank, we realized we, we had to go ahead and take the plunge. One of which for us is really in HR and hiring. And, you know, we only hire out of the best investment banks here in Charlotte. Well, that's obviously not cheap. It's very expensive. It's a big investment for us. And we actually hired in anticipation of deals coming. Well, that yeah. was a big risk, for us, right? Caused partners not to take as much cash out of the business. It hurt. <laughs> it didn't feel good. But you have to take that risk in order to really set the infrastructure up to be highly successful. I call it delayed money. <laughs> you got to build into the curve, not after the curve as, as I right. learned quite well. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's because you, if you don't do that, what you end up realizing is, holy crap, I'm, I'm a really good salesperson and a terrible infrastructure person. I'm really good at bringing deals in. I'm not so great at actually setting it up for all the success. So yeah, we, we can open the confessional booth later. Father <laughs> right. Chris, right. will you take my, con yeah, my that's right. Yes, that's right. Booth? Absolutely. That's right. Yes. Yeah. For, yeah. for Lent, my son, please do better. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Give up. Yeah, no, I definitely know that feeling. You talked earlier about sort of like those highs and then the lows, you're talking about the people you're helping, but then you're also talking about how you all are working on growing into the curve. That's a lot of progress and a lot of success in there, even if there's probably a lot of grinding of teeth, as you had mentioned, or you know, lows. How are you looking at your own personal success in this process? Mm -hmm. you know, your success as an entrepreneur, yeah. not the business, not the exit. How do you look at your success? That's a great question. I think there's a couple ways to measure that. You know, I want to, I, I think first you, you got to start with your own health. You know, mm -hmm. if you're not striving to be healthy, been off the wagon, but about to starting to get back on with exercising, trying to stay active. 
I think that helps to have finding a hobby that kind of takes your mind. One of the things I do is I golf a lot with my son. I'm nice. not a great golfer. My son's getting a lot better, <laughs> but you know, just being out there on the golf course with him, spending time with him, getting, getting to know him as he's growing up to be a young man, you know? So I think it starts with yourself. It starts with your own health. Even just as simple as like, Hey man, resist that urge to sit at your desk and eat that cheeseburger, <laughs> you know, take your vitamins, find ways to build energy because you're going to need it. You know, yeah. your body is going to need a lot of that fuel. A lot of entrepreneurs and people who are in high risk type businesses tend to turn to a lot of addictions and et cetera. And you just got really got to resist the urge. If you feel yourself doing that, you know, let's call it, even if it's drinking too much, we'll take a three week break. I promise after that three or four week break, you won't drink nearly as much after stop yourself dead in its own tracks. And yeah, so I'd say start because it does a nice reset, kind of brings the alcohol consumption where it feels like during Christmas, it goes way up and then kind of brings you back to a normal stasis. But I I'd say, you know, so I'm looking at it in concentric circles. I'd say, you know, at your core, it's about your own health. You know, I think even down to your own, you know, spiritual health as well. Just, you know, taking the time, no matter who you decide to worship. But I yeah. think there's been plenty of studies that have shown, you know, meditation, just taking the time to do even simple breathing exercises can help. And just taking some time for yourself just to take a minute. And so I'd say the next circle is if you have a family, you know, if you are, if you are married or you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a significant other or kids, I think that's the next circle where you would measure success. And that's, that's how I look at it too. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur has definitely in some ways with that sacrifice has hurt, not helped those relationships. And so just being cognizant of that, I know for myself over the past, call it six months to eight months, maybe even a little bit longer, I've been much more focused on that second circle. Uh, you know, spending as much time with my kids, spending as much time I can with my family, building in good time management. I'd say the third is just, you know, having good friends. Uh, friends are important. I think you need them. You, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks can argue, well, I've got my work and I've got my, my family. And it's like, no, man, you need, you need time with the guys. Like you need time with friends. Like you need that time where they have nothing to do with your family. They have nothing to do with your work and you can just be yourself, you know? Have a couple drinks and just kick back and don't even talk about work. Talk about anything else but work, <laughs> you know? So I'd say those kind of three circles really, really are the three ways that I would measure my own entrepreneurial success that's outside of my work and the things that I'm building. Finding your health, finding your sort of your space, and then that being more with my family, my children, definitely since my oldest is about ready to go off to college. And I'm like, wait, but you're, you were this big. I, I know uh, it goes by so quick, man. I feel like yes, just yeah. I mean, I get Facebook memories of my, you know, seeing my son and my daughter when they were young. Specifically, my son since he's twelve, right? Yeah. And I get these Facebook memories. I just got one this morning of him back in two thousand and ten or eleven. You know, just in his little stroller yeah. with his pacifier. And where did the freaking time go, man? <laughs> like where? Did, where in the oh world? God. It just it just goes by like that. Yeah, it's too quick. Too quick, indeed. As the audience listens to this and gets really interested in what you're all doing, how should they reach out to you? What's the best way for them to engage with you? Yeah, guys? absolutely. So you can go to LinkedIn, you know, if that's somewhere hmm. that you're very active. Yeah, Just look up either Global Wire Advisors. You can look up my, my name will be on there. You can go directly, you can direct message me if you've got questions. But our website's gonna be a really good portal. You know, we've got really good content resources, we've got some good white papers, we've got really great research papers. Yeah. So if you go to globalwiredadvisors.com backslash research, we did a research paper on supply chain. You know, this isn't just like 
a simple little white paper. The guy who runs our research came from the uh, public equities uh, transportation desk at Deutsche prior to that nice. Wachovia. So yeah. he does very in-depth indexes and deep dives into a particular topic. We did it on the aggregators. You know, we did it on on comparing the aggregator and the roll-up idea of these Amazon businesses to the hedge fund space in the 1990s and showing where all this is headed. That's where I was joking and saying we were the chicken little because in our research report, we basically outline what's about to happen next. And it's actually starting to come true. And it's not like we're just some, <laughs> we're not some crystal ball. It's just nothing's new under the sun, right? Yeah. And so um, going to our website, we also have a valuation tool. Most investment banks don't have this, but we actually created one because a lot of founder owners, they love to plug in their own numbers. And they like to just kind of spit out to see like, hey, what could my valuation look like? We spit out a range based on a lot of different criteria points that they place inside of this valuation tool. And then we also have a consultation tool, you know, and really we offer a lot of people offer free consultations. I really call it an analysis. You know, it really is kind of an assessment and analysis where they can reach out to us. Uh, They'll reach out. It'll be myself um, that they would speak to. And then, you know, having a a really long, longer in-depth discussion about their business, the long-term goals of the company, and really kind of what they need to do next and where they currently are and what the capital markets are going to think about it. And that really is the intersection. It's the intersection of, okay, you know, what's my business model? What are my long-term goals? And then now, what would the capital markets think about that? Well, you might need another 12 months. You might need another 24 months to really kind of get to your place where you want to execute on your goals. And so your liquidity goals. So that's how they get in touch with us. Globalwiredadvisors.com. If you go to Google, we'll be at the top. <laughs> so and we'll make sure it's down in the show notes and on our social media awesome. for you all. Hey, Chris, this was a lot of fun. And I'm, there's a lot you gave us to think about. And I know I'm going to be reaching out for stuff. So thank you so much for coming on Great. today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it, AJ. I appreciate your time. Thank you for letting me come on. This has been great. So hopefully it brings some level of good nuggets for the audience. Oh, I know it will. Thank you. Yeah, everyone. I really am grateful for Chris for coming on the show. I've had not the best experience in some of my companies. Now I get a very, very teeny little violin to complain because I have been able to sell companies. I just did not do them very prettily. And my first one, all I got out of it was a piece of paper saying I had sold for seven figures and then that company went first into bankrupt. So getting a chance to talk with people who bring so much value to the process of selling And even to the buying side, if you are talking to them about it, is really cool. I love how Chris has been through, you know, from a sales to then an operational experience, how much he's been through the thick of it. Yeah, I always joke sometimes, you know, given that I was coding back in the early 90s when it was still Gopher and, you know, the web was still sort of not there. It is cool when you find people who are in at different points. And Chris, with the e-commerce space early into Amazon, diapers.com, Babies R Us, those were some crazy times. I knew of people, I knew of experiences, and it was all over the place. It was a lot. And coming through there and coming through the different corporate environments and kind of stepping up into sort of then supporting turnarounds and more and more, that's a real hard road. So then for him to go off on his own to then help smaller businesses in the space kind of create their own environment and get better and utilize the platforms, specifically Amazon. You know, it's sort of like when I joke, talk about search and I say the search engines and it's like, yeah, 99% Google. It is this idea of he has really been there and 
he went and walked his walk. He had his own company. He was able to go and help so many people that then quickly led into meeting his partners and being this investment banker that helps so many people sell their companies. So, I mean, look, there's something to be said about someone who has walked the walk and has done this so well. So please consider, you know, if you're in this position, give Chris and his team a look. I also like that if you go into his, he has been calling out some of the Amazon rollouts that now, obviously, and then depending on when you're listening to this podcast, right after a little bit of blood in the market, have shown they're not probably the best opportunities out there. But, you know, there is so much still to be had in the Amazon space, in these platforms, Kristen's team really spent. So go check out globalwiredadvisors.com. You could do a lot worse than if you're in the space, you have a company that you're thinking of selling or even going acquiring companies in the space. You could do a lot worse than have a conversation with Chris. So we'll also put his LinkedIn and his other contact information here. And of course, if you enjoy today's episode, please leave us a review. Let us know how we can improve. Let us know what you like. Anything you can helps us get better so we can do more for you. Go to to beyond8figures.com, sign up for a newsletter. That way, every time we have a new guest coming on, you'll be the first to know. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate you giving us your time today, and I'll talk with you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.